So we're in Matthew chapter 6. We've been working our way through um, Matthew's gospel. This is Jesus teaching. Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to pray that God would help us, and then we're going to read. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us. Holy Spirit, please help us. Please calm our hearts, still our minds. Let us be ready to receive what you want us to hear. And we pray that you would do a powerful work among us by your word. That we'd listen and be changed by what Jesus, our beautiful King, says to us. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Okay, we're in Matthew um, chapter 6. And we're picking it up in verse 25. Jesus says, therefore... Now, just to say, when you go to therefore, um, oh, this is corny. You've all heard this, right? You're supposed to ask, what's it? Yeah, what's it there for? When you see a therefore, you ask what it's there for, all right? It's not random. It's telling us this is connected to something that's gone before. So we better just check that we know what went before. Just to say, we're in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we've seen that the the Beatitudes, and Jesus says, this is what it means to live in in my kingdom. We've seen Jesus expounding the law as he's told us, um, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, don't even get angry. Jesus has been showing us how in his kingdom, the law of God is fulfilled and it's maximized and it's beautiful and it's glorious. And then in chapter six, you get three, right? I, I think you can memorize how the Sermon on the Mount goes. Um, particularly in chapter 6, it's quite easy. In chapter 6, you get three things where Jesus says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. So he teaches us about what it means to have hearts that are devoted to God, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Then come three do nots. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth. Do not worry and do not judge. Okay, we're in the middle of those three do nots. Here are three things that in the kingdom of heaven we do not do. We don't store up treasure on earth, we don't worry, and we don't judge. So we're in that middle one right now. So that's what Jesus is doing as he's expounding the kingdom. So therefore, I tell you. Now just to say, um, I tell you, um, that's, that's quite strong. Here is Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, I tell you. These are words that come with an authority. Now let me just say, if any other human being comes up to you and says, I tell you, uh, that's, that's quite a big claim. That, already that's an authority claim. And it's really important you understand at Globe Church, the voice that we listen to is the voice of Jesus. The I tell you is the I tell you of Jesus. If This is just John T. I tell you, you don't have to listen to a word I say. I am not the one who has the I tell you authority. Jesus does. Jesus is the king of his kingdom, and therefore he speaks with a voice of beautiful, gentle command as he speaks to us. Right, let's read it. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I don't think it's very difficult to see what Jesus is saying. Do not worry. He says it at least four times. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. And I'm aware that those words, even just those words, are hard for us to hear. You see, for some of us, we hear those words and they make us worry more. Because Jesus says, do not worry, and we immediately go, but I do worry. And now I'm worried about the fact I worry. And now I feel more stressed than ever about what on earth this means. So let me say to you, if you are someone who hears this command and this is difficult for you to hear, I just want to encourage you, listen to Jesus. This is not a harsh rebuke of your worry. You're going to see Jesus teach you something so gentle and kind. This is beautiful when we see it as Jesus unpacks it. So if you are someone who sits there going, this is terrifying because I am a worrier, don't worry. Jesus says. But I also want to say, some of us sit here this and go, oh, that's great because I don't worry about anything. Some of us are very much of the Bobby McFerrin. No, you don't. Bobby McFerrin, right? Back in the day, he sang a song. It was, don't worry, be happy. Right? Here's a little song I wrote. I want you to learn it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. And I want to say to those of us who have that much more of that temperament, who don't really worry at all, in fact, we don't really take any responsibility for anything, Jesus is not letting you off the hook. He's not saying, ah, oh, therefore, just kind of chill out, relax. The, the message of Matthew 6 of the kingdom of heaven is not chill out and relax. It doesn't matter. Don't worry. When we see why we should not worry, we will see that this is a call to great responsibility. Not to abdicate it, but to actually embrace a greater responsibility. So here we go. How on earth are we going to understand and to live this do not worry? Because let's face it, there are plenty of things to worry about, right? In your personal lives, there are plenty of things to worry about. In an international sense, there are plenty of things to worry about. So why? Why is it that in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, do not worry? Well, what we're going to do is I'm going to break this down into three bits. Firstly, we need to see something true about ourselves. Then we need to see something true about God. And then we need to see something greater to seek. That's where we're heading. We've got to firstly think about ourselves. Something true about us. 
Now, we're going to do a little bit of, um, a little bit of harder thinking for a minute. You see, we're going to think about our anthropology. That is what we believe about what it means to be human. If I asked you, what are you, I wonder what you would say. Because most of us would say, I'm a person, I'm a human. But what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to have a soul? Do you have a soul? What is your soul? Do you know? Supposing someone, I guess most of us go, fine. Kind of classic understanding is that I have a body and I have a soul. And most of us are quite clear on what the body is because we're quite good at that, right? That bit we think about quite a lot. But the soul bit we get a bit confused by. And we use funny language about it. Now, the reason I'm going on about this, and we're really, going to do some hard work on this. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 25. Look at the words. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Right. The word life uh, in, in Greek, the original language, is the word psyche which in many other places is translated as the word soul. And so Jesus is using the word that we would often translate as soul, but you see the reason that they haven't translated it as soul, stick with this, is because Jesus says, do not worry about your soul, what you will eat and drink. We go, hang on a second, because the soul doesn't eat or drink anything. So we better not say soul, we better say life, because that makes more sense right? And yet it's the soul word. And what I want to push with, okay, just for a few minutes, I just want to kind of play with this because I think it will help us, is the idea that we like to make everything very neat and tidy, particularly in a kind of Western, rational culture. We like everything to be neat And so it's quite neat for us that I have a body and a soul. There are two bits to me. And uh, this is the material bit, and this is the immaterial bit. And sometimes we use language like, and the soul is kind of the real me. Right? Okay, I've got a crunchy. Let's do some crunchy theology. Right? I've got a crunchy. Is this a crunchy? Yes. Yes. Right. We're going to play a game. Is this a crunchy? Is this a crunchy? Ah, interesting. So when they're together, they're a crunchy. But separate them, this is not a crunchy. This is just the wrapper in which the crunchy lived. This is the real crunchy. (laughs) Right. You all got that? I need I say more? Look, <laughs> this, is, this is how often our thinking goes. I am me. Here I am, me. I am a soul in a body. But the thing is, what we tend to think is that the real me, the essence of me, is the soul bit, and the body is sort of the wrapper 
that my soul is caught up in. Now that is not what the Bible teaches. That is not a biblical anthropology. In fact, that owes its origin more to Greek philosophy than to biblical theology. So it was the Greek philosophers who kind of first had this idea that there's this sort of inner bit of me which is more important than the body. And so the body becomes sort of this prison that I need to try and escape from. And so here's this body which holds me back and it gets tired and it gets hungry and that's rubbish. But someday I'll die and I'll shed the wrapper and then the real me can go on and live forever and ever. Now what Jesus does is he completely undermines that. In fact, what Jesus does is he sets out a much more Hebrew, biblical understanding of what it means to be human. And that is that you cannot separate the soul and the body. They are not two separate entities that sort of float around disjointedly and they're kind of together for a bit and then they're apart. It's not as clear as that. It's not as clean as that. Much as we'd like it to be body, soul. I get it. I know why we like it to be neat, but it's just not. And we've got to live with that messiness in this issue. And So, here's the something true about you. Do you want to know what you are? I'll tell you what you are. This is not going to sound profound, but it is. You are a living being. Or, you are a soul. Or, you are a body. All of those things are true. Okay, let's, let's just keep pushing this. I'm, I'm coming back to Matthew 6, but you've got to just see why this matters. So when God first made human beings, what he did was he made um, a, a body. This is, the, this is the language of Genesis 2. He made a body out of the dust of the ground, and he made the, the, the human body, and then he breathed life into it, and it says he became a living body. He became a living body. He became a living being. Or the older translations, he became a living soul. <laughs> so you know, when, um, you know when you're in distress and all you've got is a torch and you're stuck on a rock? Right? <laughs> you know that scenario. What do you flash? You know, do, you, do you know what you flash? Dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. No one knows any Morse code except for that. SOS, what does it mean? Save our souls. That is a correct use of the word soul. Because <laughs> what it doesn't mean is, look, could someone just come and save my soul? My, forget my body, I don't care about my body. Could someone just come and get my soul? <laughs> That's not what we mean. And similarly, when you're on an airplane and they say there are 274 souls on board. That is proper language. That's like a hangover from when we used to use the word. But now we've got this very split thing. And this is why it matters. Because when we come to the kingdom of heaven and when we listen to Jesus' teaching, we tend to think that the kingdom of heaven is about the spiritual, about the non-material, and not really about the physical. 
We think that's the bit that God's interested in. God is interested in my soul. God is interested in the kind of inner me, but he's not really that bothered about my body. But Jesus, in this teaching, is teaching us that actually God is bothered about what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. These things matter to God. And so Jesus is is trying to help us to understand the nature of his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is not just a spiritual floaty realm out there somewhere that's not real. The kingdom of heaven is physical. The kingdom of heaven is here on earth. It's what we do. It's what we eat and drink. Now, the reason I think that often we then get worried about what we eat and drink, the the kind of practical, physical things of this world, is because we don't think God cares about them. Because we think the only thing God cares about is our soul. We think that Jesus came just to die to save our souls. And therefore the body is sort of slightly less less important. This This is as old as the New Testament, right? This is a heresy that was taught called Gnosticism, where they taught the body doesn't matter, the body's irrelevant. And over and over again, the New Testament says, no, the body does matter. It absolutely matters. God made you a living being, body and soul. Together, not even two separate things, just there. That's who you are. And it's messy and it's confusing and it's not as neat as we'd like it to be. But as Jesus teaches, he says, so you are thinking too small of yourself when you stress just about, oh, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to put on my, on my back? Jesus, but life is more than just food. The body is, just, is more than just clothes. The beauty of who you are, you're not just some physical thing trying to eke out an existence. You're created by God in the image of God. And yet we become obsessed just with the food and the clothes that we wear. And so here is Jesus helping us to understand who we truly are and what it means to live in his kingdom, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. There's something about us. Let's think about a a truth about God. And we're going to kind of wrap this all um, practically at at the end. What Jesus does then is he says, understand who you are. You are life. You are body. You, You are, it's so valuable what you are. He then gives two examples. He talks about the birds and he talks about the plants, the lilies, the flowers. So look um, from verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. (laughs) Right, okay, here's the truth about God. We've thought about us, we thought that actually sometimes our view of ourselves is wrong, sometimes our view of God is wrong. Here is what the Bible is teaching about God. God is constantly caring, all the time. Every moment of every day, God is acting. All the time. Every little sparrow that gets hungry 
and you see a sparrow eating a worm and you say, God gave that sparrow to the, God gave the worm to the sparrow. God is feeding the sparrow. Look, do you really, really think of God like that? Or do you tend to have more of what might be called a deist view of God? That is that there's a God out there somewhere. He created the world and said, right, here's some laws of nature. Crack on. So there's laws of nature and the seasons come and the birds eat and, you know, and the lion king, you know, the antelope die and become the grass and we eat the grass and no, Lions don't eat the grass. Lions eat the antelopes, and the antelopes become the gra- eat the grass. Doesn't matter. You get the idea. Circle of life, right? That there is just a circle of life. There is natural law, and then occasionally God pops up to do something different. We call that a miracle. Hello, I'm going to do something different today. To what? I'm going to break the laws of nature. Jesus says no. If that's what you think God is like, you've got a wrong view of God. God is every single day. All the time, working. Psalm 145 says, The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. Everything, even the sparrow, the tiny little sparrow grubbing around, God is feeding it. And look at the logic. Listen to this. Are you not more valuable than they Are you not more valuable than the sparrow? Do you think that God will feed the little sparrow and not feed you? Do you think that God will provide for his animals but not for his children? Do you really think that? The logic is so powerful. When Jesus says, do not worry, he's not saying, just get a grip. He's not saying, you're being irrational, you're being stupid. He's not saying there's nothing to worry about. He's saying, you've got a father in heaven who cares about you, who is constantly working all the time. I got in trouble with my dad once, um, more than once, but once I'm going to tell you about. (laughs) I won't tell you about the other times. And this... Might sound like my dad was being pedantic at this point, and I probably felt he was, but actually he was right. It was um, was only a few years ago, and uh, he phoned me on a Sunday evening and said, how are you doing? How was church? And I was really encouraged. I'd had a really good day. And I said, Dad, do you know what? God was really good to me today. God was really good to us today. And my dad said, but isn't he always... What does that mean? He's always good. And it was a helpful rebuke, right? Because I'm very quick when something good happens to me to go, God did that, God did that, look what God gave me, look what God did for me. But then when hard things happen, I say, where's God gone? Why has God abandoned me? Whereas what if actually we've got a heavenly father who is constantly working in every circumstance, in everything that comes to us, the good things and the hard things as a heavenly father is working to lovingly teach us and help us and strengthen us as his people. You're more valuable than the sparrows and God cares for them. So he will care for you. And then let's look at the flowers. Why do you worry about clothes? Wow, wow, that's quite a, 
quite a rebuke to the, our culture, isn't it? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? The flowers. Jesus is taking such simple, simple ideas and saying the flowers, God clothes them, God makes them grow, God makes them beautiful. And if God does that for them, will he not do that for you? The sparrows, you're more valuable than them. The flowers, you last longer than them. That's his logic. The flowers are only here for a day, then they're chucked away, right? And so he concludes this. So do not worry, saying, what should we eat? Or what should we wear? Or what should we drink? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows what you need. He knows it. He's not negligent. He's not sitting around going, oh, everyone seems to be fine. Until we shout, hey, God, I need you. He knows what you need already. When he talks about the pagans, um, sound a slightly odd word to us. He just means those who don't have God as their father. Those who don't know God as their father, they run around. If you don't have a father in heaven, then you do have to run around providing for yourself, right? And you're constantly worried, okay, trying to find, where am I going to get my next food from? Where am I going to get this? Where am I going to get this? And you run from place to place, desperately trying to make sure that everything's in place. And Jesus says, shh, don't run like that. Not if you have a heavenly father. Turn to him. Depend on him. Cry to him. Your heavenly father is constantly working. He is not absent. He's not negligent. He is not careless. And he's not weak. He is your heavenly father. He knows what you need. And once we've seen something true about ourselves, that our bodies matter... And once we've seen something true about God, that he's constantly working and caring for his creation, that brings us to the final thing, something greater to seek. And that is why verse 32 is so important. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. The reason, the heart of the reason why you should not worry is not... Because it's bad for your health. It's not because it will stress you out. It's not because it will make you miserable. It's because it will stop you seeking first the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has brought you into. You see, it's very different. It's very difficult if I'm running around stressed about the practical things of life to really seek first Jesus and his kingdom. Of course, that raises a question. What does it mean to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? I mean, that's a phrase we love, right? We sing it. We're going to sing it in a minute. We we talk about it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But what what does that mean? Hey? I wonder if you were trying to explain it to someone. What, What does it mean? What does it mean to seek first his kingdom? I don't think it's that difficult. We overcomplicate this. This is dead simple. 
Jesus has been telling us what his kingdom's like in the Sermon on the Mount. It's about living your life. (laughs) You know how to sum up the law of God? You know what God requires of you? Two things. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. That is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. You see, before Jesus came, I lived loving myself and using others. Before Jesus came, I lived as if I was king and I was in charge and and, and everything revolved around me. But Jesus, that's why I'm running around stressed, okay? Because it's like in Hunger Games. You know, you get released in the cornucopia thing and you'll run out and every man for himself, You've got to try and get the bow and arrow, and you've got, I'm stressed. You don't relax in the Hunger Games. No one's having a happy time. If you've never seen it, don't worry. And, um, but that, that's why we get stressed, because we think it's about me and my kingdom. And what if someone else grabs the bow and arrow before I get it? What if someone else grabs the promotion? What if someone else gets the, 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 the thing that I want? What if someone else is appreciated more than I am and we become stressed because it's about this? And Jesus came to rescue us. He came to die for us. He came to take us out of that kingdom and to bring us into his kingdom where now we don't live saying, oh, me, me, me. Now instead we're saying, him, him, him. So look, let me get really practical. You seek first God's kingdom when you love other people. When you go into your workplace, or you go into your home, or you go out with your friends, and you say, I want to love them. I want to love them. Okay, let's make it more practical. You seek his kingdom when someone irritates you at work, and you say no to anger, and instead choose to love them. When someone wrongs you and you forgive them, that is seeking first his kingdom. You say, no, I belong to Jesus. I'm going to forgive you. You seek first the kingdom of Jesus when you say no to lust. Okay, when you switch off, when you're tempted to watch pornography and you switch it off, you are saying no to my kingdom and you're saying yes to the kingdom of heaven. When you choose not to abuse men and women made in the image of God, but instead to love them and to get on your knees and pray for them. You seek first the kingdom of heaven when you choose to live that way. When someone at your workplace is struggling and is hard, you come alongside them and say, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to help you. How can I love you? How can I strengthen you? You seek first his kingdom when you go into the workplace saying, Jesus, help me to do my work today for your glory. Help me to be a teacher or a doctor or a hairdresser or whatever it is. Help me to do that for your glory. You seek first his kingdom when you do that. Because the kingdom of heaven is about this, about living, everyday life with Jesus as king. You seek first his kingdom as you show people and people say to you, what's different about you? And go, well, I follow Jesus. I follow him. I don't live for me, I live for him. You seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. When you see injustice and you stand up against that injustice, you seek first his kingdom 
when you get involved. It's about life. It's about being an embodied person living this life for the kingdom. You love people and you love God. You seek first his kingdom when you get on your knees and you pray the Lord's Prayer. You seek first his kingdom when you give, not so that people can see you, but because you love your Father. You seek first his kingdom when you fast and you seek after him. That's what it means. Love God, love others. And if we're stressed about the things of this world, we will not love others and we will not love God. That's why we have to know that we have a heavenly father. Right? One final thing as we finish, because we've got to just deal with this. Because some of us are thinking, yeah, but what if God doesn't give me what I need? Right? That's the problem with this. All sounds fine, but there are Christians who starve. Some Christians who die. Some Christians who are thrown in prison and aren't released. So what is this promise? If you seek first his kingdom is righteous and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is not making a promise that he'll give you all you want. He's not making a promise that he'll make all your dreams come true. He's not giving you a promise that he'll make your life easy. He's giving you a promise that you will have all you need. All you need for what he calls you to live. That doesn't mean it's easy. But it does mean you can trust him. And God is generous, right? He often gives us far more than we need. Most of us in this room have far more than we need, right? We, probably none of us in this room got all we want, but most of us have got more than we need. Because our God is generous. And he will give us what we need. And the great thing is sometimes that happens through one another. Sometimes you hear how someone has a need and they're crying to God and saying, Lord, please help me. And someone comes alongside and says, actually, can I help you with this? God meets our needs through one another. It's why we need each other. It's why we've got to be honest about where we're struggling. It's why we've got to tell each other so that we can be help to one another. Okay. We need to wrap all this up. I wonder this week, I wonder if you can have a fresh appreciation of who you are, precious, created in the image of God, living being, a body soul, a thing, (laughs) so precious to God, where your physical and your spirit, all of it matters, all of it joined together. And knowing that you have a father in heaven who loves you and cares for you and provides for you. So that you can seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And why don't we test him on his word? Let's test him. Let's put him to, I don't mean test him like in a bad way. I mean, try it. Perhaps we could be more generous. Perhaps we could give some stuff this week. Because God's promised to give us all we need. It might release us to be generous in the way that we live. So why don't we pray? Let's pray. And let's ask that God would help us. Just take a moment. and um, I know that for some of us, this is a hard word. I know that. If that's you, 
Just tell him. Tell him now, Father, I find it so, so hard to trust you. Please, would you help me? Tell him that now. If you'd like to pray with someone as we sing, we're going to sing a few songs. If you'd like to pray with someone, you can head over to the banner over there that says prayer. There'll be a few people over there who'd love just to pray with you on this. Perhaps you've never really admitted this, but you could pray this afternoon that God would help you to trust him. Heavenly Father, please help us to know who you truly are. Help us to see what a precious thing it is to be human. What a precious thing it is to be embodied people. To be people who've been entrusted with this kingdom, who can live for Jesus in this world. Who can seek first that kingdom. Who can make Jesus known as we live and speak for him. Father, please help us, we pray. Please forgive us where we don't trust you. Forgive us where we run around as if we have no heavenly father. Lord, please, even this week, help us to see what you have given us, not what you haven't. And help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.